From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Well, isn't it a pleasure to be here once again? Uh, you may be expecting another voice, but this is the voice you're hearing tonight. My name is Victor Vigiani, and I'm sitting in for Richard Serrett, who's uh, off in a little bit of a timeout, weekend off, uh, spending time with his family, and we're going to take you into the netherland of whatever comes next in this crazy field of, I guess, off-world civilizations in our first hour, and uh, just glad to have you with us. And it'll be a pleasure to uh, uh, to have your company for the next hour or so. Uh, before we begin, I would like to point out that, uh, and Richard's asked me to make a point of this too for this evening, they want to welcome one of our new affiliates, KFLDAM870, Yakima, Washington, one of the new affiliates that uh, the Conspiracy Show has taken on over the past little while. And I think that brings it up probably to about... Uh, Oh, I'd say almost 20 affiliates that we've got working with us now. And we're just so glad to have that many people um, involved in the pursuit of list- listening to the conspiracy show and making sure that, you know, we stay on top of things and that uh, you do too. So one of the ways that we do that is each Sunday evening we broadcast all kinds of strange and mysterious things here on the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett. And I have the pleasure on the odd occasion to guest host with him. Uh, generally speaking, I, I do things with respect to the UFO issue. Um, I, I have dabbled in other areas, but through his guidance this evening, he's uh, allowed me the, uh, the good fortune to, to speak about the UFO issue the, during this first hour. And I want to welcome you all to that. Um, I suppose that, you know, when you start talking about this UFO issue, and really, there's no other way to, to call it. There's a lot of different things you can say about it. You can call it the UFO ET issue. You can call it off-world civilization. You can, it really doesn't matter what you call it. The fact of the matter is that it is something very, very strange and very, very bizarre that we're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And through my research over the past 35 years or so, um, I don't have any definite answers. I have a lot of opinions about it, but uh, there's really not a whole lot that I know for sure. And the one darn good thing that I know for sure is that when we do find out what the heck is going on in our skies with respect to this issue, it could very, very well be something totally different than uh, than we expect it to be. And once again, too, there's many individuals in this field who we can speak to uh, that have all kinds of expertise in the area. And uh, there's people who value sightings, uh, sighting reports. Uh, they delve into uh, abduction phenomenon. They deal with the crop circle phenomenon. Uh, this evening, we are going to delve into a completely um, different area as far as I'm concerned. And one of the greatest researchers that I've had the pleasure of uh, listening to and watching and, and following over the past little while is uh, a lady named Linda Moulton Howe. And Linda is a graduate of Stanford University with a master's degree in communication. She has devoted her documentary film, television, and radio writing to the production of concerns of science, medicine, and the environment. Linda has received local, national, and international awards, including three regional Emmys, a National Emmy nomination, and a Station Peabody Award in medical programming. Linda has also uh, been involved in documentaries. They've included A Strange Harvest, which we'll talk about tonight a little bit, uh, a little bit more, and also A Prairie Dawn, focused on astronaut training in Denver. She's also produced documentaries on Ethiopia and Mexico for UNICEF. 
So without any further ado, uh, we could probably extend that uh, that bio reading for another 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, Linda, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here, and I thought I would at least start uh, with a quote that goes to the heart of what you have raised to me and to the audience mm-hmm. about what is uh, the truth to uh, some of the UFO phenomena, and that is... Back in 1979, September, when I was director of special projects at the CBS station in Denver, and my job was to do documentaries about science environmental issues in Colorado and the United States and the world, that there was an uptick in all of the strange, bloodless, trackless animal mutilations, not only in Colorado, but throughout the Rocky Mountains, including Canada. There were a whole, there was hundreds actually, uh, in uh, British Columbia and Alberta and uh, that whole area of Canada. And so I thought, as an environmental issue, I was going to get to the bottom of what was happening with all these animals with the same patterns of bloodless excisions. And what baffled law enforcement as I was beginning to learn, was that there were rarely tracks around the bodies of the mutilated animals, and that included no tracks of the animal, leaving sheriffs and deputies and others to say, well, how did the animal even get to the location where it was found dead with these strange bloodless excisions, Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes on their back with legs up in the air? And, of course, what law enforcement concluded is that whatever was doing this was coming from the air or lifting these animals, and that goes to the heart of the quote from the, uh, he was Sheriff Tex Graves of Logan County, Colorado, for I think 23 or 25 years when I first met him in September of 1979 up in Sterling, Colorado. He was the very first law enforcement person that I went to as I started on the production of what became A Strange Harvest, the uh, 90-minute special on TV. And he showed me 266 color Polaroid photos that he had taken in the, his work uh, in the sheriff's office of all of these mutilated animals, strange and bloodless and trackless, and he was giving me an orientation through these Polaroids. And suddenly he looked at me and he said, Linda, I'll save you some time. The perpetrators of these animal mutilations are creatures from outer space. And I still remember, it was as if I were hit by an electrical cord or shock. I was not prepared for that to be the answer right at the beginning of my investigation. But nine months later, after having worked literally 18 hours a day, seven days a week, without let-up for nine months in traveling and filming and interviewing and editing and having uh, the crew and I having strange experiences with odd lights and all kinds of things that happened. A Strange Harvest was broadcast on May 25, 1980. It was the largest audience in the state of Colorado uh, for, um, at that time, for anything that had been produced mm-hmm. in the local stations. And the reason uh, that I'm coming to is because I realized as mail started coming in, there were no computers then and there were no faxes. It was either typed or handwritten mail or phone calls. 
uh, the switchboard could not keep up with the phone calls. The mail room was dragging literally bags up to my office at the CBS station in Denver, and those bags constituted, uh, in I remember one week's time, we counted up over a thousand letters, and they were coming from literally all over the world, and most of them were saying, I've never told anyone this before. But, but, and yeah. it was. Yeah. Do, do you think... saying that yeah. he had seen animals rise in beams of light mm-hmm. into a glowing object in the mm-hmm. sky or be lowered in the beams of light down to the ground where they would then find them dead and mutilated. And t- this, today, uh, I had just got back from a trip from uh, Los Angeles uh, yesterday uh, where I was working uh, on the sixth season with ancient aliens in L.A., and one of the subjects that they're addressing will be animal mutilations. And I come back, and there is an email from somebody telling me, I have heard you on the radio, I have looked at Earth Files, and you have mentioned animals rising in beams of light or being lowered to the ground and being found mutilated. And this is a woman, and she said, I saw one of these cattle being raised in a beam of light with my own eyes in the 1970s, and she's going to give me more information, and I'm just saying this is the reality of the facts, whether or not people have been exposed to them much or not. Uh, What was your background before you got into all of this? I mean, you must have sort of led into it in a way that, um, it somehow introduced you to, or did it just, you know, did you just trip over the issue, or, or how did that happen? I did my graduate work, my master's degree at Stanford University in Palo Alto, California, where I got a master's degree in communications, uh, working on documentary films with the Stanford Medical Center and the Stanford Linear Accelerator. In fact, my master's degree film was with the Stanford Linear Accelerator right at the time that they were beginning to try to get rudimentary uh, uh, computers. Uh, I was at Stanford from 1966 to 68, graduated in 68, and during those two years they were trying to get computers to analyze the bombardment patterns so that humans would not have to do all of that laborious Mm -hmm. labor. And that's what my film was about, and I was hired by KNBC in Los Angeles to work as a hard news reporter. I covered everything. And from there, I was asked if I would uh, work in documentaries, and soon I had my own program that I was producing out of the East Coast, the West Coast, and uh, Los Angeles, again, having to do with environmental, medical, and science subjects. And I was married, and my husband... Uh, at the time, uh, was accepted to Harvard for a, a degree process there, and so I was hired from KNBC to ABC in Boston. There, I did all of their medical programming. I did science programming. I was awarded uh, as a producer in a Peabody there. Mm-hmm. So my work in science, medicine, and the environment kept being solidified. My uh, then-husband was hired uh, to head a video company's effort in Denver, Colorado, and I was hired from Boston to Denver 
to head their uh, special projects. Well, that's terrific. Now, okay, I'll have to, I have to hold to you there. It? I'll have to hold you there, Linda. We're going to take a break, yeah. okay? Thank you. Yeah, just stay with us. Uh, my name is Victor Vigiani, and you're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Good evening and welcome back. My name is Victor Vigiani and you're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Uh, once again, Richard is off on a well-deserved rest and we're sort of filling in for him. And we have on the line from her home in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Linda Moulton Howe, researcher and uh, I guess a documentary uh, producer in, uh, in many, many different ways of many, many different aspects of the UFO issue. Uh, we've got her on the line now, and she's just been explaining to us a little bit about the um, animal mutilation. Uh, Linda, you know what I'd like to do is uh, I've done a, my first reading of the book of, of Alien Harvest back w- when you first put it out. And one of the things that I was absolutely intrigued about was the kind of incisions. I mean, I guess we're getting a little specific here now. Was the kinds of incisions that were made with these animals and, you know, be they horses or cows or whatever they were. And the the incisions were made in such a way that... Um, there, there was no bloodletting, um, and they were they were sort of cauterized to a point where there was very little cell disruption. It was like there was a cut. There was something very specific done. Uh, what are the kinds of theories that you've uncovered that may explain some of the kinds of incisions that that you've seen? Well, uh, your listeners can see uh, hundreds, literally, of photographs that I have accumulated in what I have been doing. Uh, almost full-time the last uh, 14 years, and that is I report, edit, and produce earthfiles.com. It is a news website that is focused on science, the environment, and real X-Files, while I have also done more documentaries and lots and lots of radio and all kinds of other things. Earth Files today might be the largest encyclopedia of what you're describing, and that is what is the physical evidence in the animal mutilations that has been documented in a phenomena that goes back at least a 100 years. When I started on A Strange Harvest, I talked with a producer in London at the BBC trying to find out what in Europe the BBC had investigated in terms of animal mutilations and the types of excisions that you're talking about I'm going to go into. But I think it's important to set the facts on the landscape and how large in time this phenomena is. And the BBC had had a journal in its own work looking at unusual and bloodless animal deaths in England. And the producer told me that they were actually trying to find a journal that they'd had in research on a program that went back to 1911, 104 sheep found on an Australian billabong with ear missing, eye, tongue, jaw, genitals, and rectum cord out, 104 sheep, no tracks around any of the animals' bodies, including not the animals' own tracks, and no blood on any of the white hair. Now, how is this possible? Jump to all of the work that I did with veterinarian pathologists and a hematologist pathologist in Denver, Dr. John Altshuler, and many of these photographs and our laboratory work 
and other documentation have been included in the four books that I've done, the documentaries that I've done, and now it's, uh, I think it's about 2,200 reports representing 50,000 images, illustrations, and documents at Mm earthfiles.com. And in that work, there are uh, photographs of what are called serrated edges. For any of your listeners who may ever have used pinking shears on cloth, uh, cutting patterns to sew a dress or a shirt or something, the pinking shear leaves a kind of triangular pattern, meaning it's a lot of uh, pointed edges. And when you go to a lot of the photographs that I have in my books, the documentaries and earthfiles.com, you will see the serrated edge as recently as uh, June, July to August 1st in Montana, or sorry, in uh, Hagler, Nebraska. Uh, I've been dealing with a tremendous number of mutilations in 2013 from England throughout the United States and Argentina. And one of the most interesting in Hagler, Nebraska, is a rancher, Alex Peterson, who has had five unusual animal deaths since mid-June up to the August 5th. And he is, of those five, three were mutilated heifers uh, or mutilated, yeah, I think they were all young, and uh, they were pregnant. And one of them that was found on August 1st just absolutely, uh, completely stunned this rancher. It was one of his pregnant cows. Now he's already had two pregnant cows mutilated, but this one, I have photographs at Earth Files that show how extraordinary this is. This big, heavy, pregnant cow was found with her head dropped into a narrow hole in the pasture. In the bottom of the hole, there were spider webs. And as Alex Peterson said to me, Linda, when we finally got her pulled out, they had to get a tractor hooked up with ropes. There was not one hole or damage to any of those spider webs, which means that she was dropped into the hole dead. There was no breathing. There was no slobbering. She was dead, and her head was going into this tight hole up to her ears. Her ears could not go down into the hole. And so you're looking at photographs of a large, pregnant, basically black-colored cow with its body flopped uh, away from the front of its head down in this hole, and it had removal of tissue from the head and a very neat circle of excision of uh, rectal and vaginal tissue, again, bloodless, from the back of this animal. And in all of the cases in the Hagler, Nebraska, uh, approximately from uh, the middle of June to August 5th, so about seven weeks of five unusual animal deaths, two not pregnant, that you have the classic signatures no blood, no tracks, and leaving Alex Peterson when I first talked to him to say that he and other uh, ranchers had heard about the possibility that extraterrestrial biological entities had been harvesting from uh, animals around this planet for a long time, and he wanted to know what I thought. And I said, that's exactly what law enforcement told me 
in September of 1979, but when I would say, as director of special projects at the CBS station in Denver, would you please tell me that on camera so that I can use it in my documentary for television, and sheriffs and deputies would say, no, you'll have to find somebody else, but that is the truth. We know we're dealing with creatures from outer space. And to just reinforce this, I want to share two pieces that are so important and that a lot of people don't know. When I was producing The Strange Harvest, starting in September of 79 until the broadcast on May 25, 1980, there had been these strange bloodless, trackless mutilations of, of, this is cattle, this is horses, goats, sheep, pigs, rabbits, dogs, cats. Uh, I've seen uh, federal... Uh, Forest Service and State Forest Service photographs of mutilated deer, elk, marmots. So it's a wide gamut. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, up in Calgary, uh, Lynn Lauber, L-Y-N-N-L-A-U-B-E-R, he was heading the investigation for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police on animal mutilation specifically. And they had, in Calgary, had uh, leaked or, or made it pretend like it was a leak to a reporter who kept running stories about how all these uh, animals in the Calgary, British Columbia area were the product of a satanic cult called O, the letter O. Well, here's the truth. My uh, documentary, A Strange Harvest, a 90-minute special, was broadcast the night of May 25, 1980. Within two weeks of that broadcast, I got a phone call from Lynn Lauber, head of uh, one of the RCMP divisions investigating animal mutilations. He said that he had gotten a copy of my documentary in the broadcast and had watched it. And I remember him saying, Miss Howe, I know that what you have reported is accurate. Well, that made me say, well, sir, I'm reporting extraterrestrial uh, biological entities. He said, yes. We know that's the truth. I said, but you, you, uh, the RCMP and the media in British Columbia have been reporting that it <clears throat> is a satanic cult named O. <clears throat> Sorry, I've been suffering a, a allergies and a cold. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, this was a quote to me, director of special projects at the CBS station in Denver, from the head of animal mutilation investigations in British Columbia, Canada. He said, yes. We wanted to get the public and the media off our backs, and it is easier for us to operate with everybody looking for satanic cults instead of extra. So, so how, how can they possibly justify this kind of rationale or explanation when it's quite clear that there, there is a, a very, uh, very clear other explanation? Now, you know, the RCMP here in Canada, I, I'm, you know, familiar with some of the work that they've done with respect to the UFO phenomenon, and they dare not make a link uh, with the UFO phenomenon indirectly. They, they will not uh, speak about it. They will not espouse any information about it. You know, they will remain close-lipped. Now, well, do you it, understand? I'm yeah. telling you about a private phone conversation from your uh, British Columbia Calgary RCMP investigator of mutilations in 79 to 80 who is calling me after the broadcast of my documentary, A Strange Harvest, to tell me that he knows that what I have reported is true, even though it contradicts their 
own information to the media as he's explaining that they pushed the satanic cult answer to the media that ran with it, knowing that the RCMP knew they were using an excuse that was not true to get the public and the media off their back. He's not saying that to me on the camera. He's talking to me in a phone call to the TV station where I worked to tell me that. And he and I actually exchanged information about certain aspects of animal mutilations, which he asked me to keep secret, that I already knew, Mm -hmm. photographed and documented, and he asked me specifically if he shared things that they were investigating and that I wouldn't report them for a while because in Canada they were trying to keep certain details away, and I honored that for some time. And this is the... What I'm, my point is, is, this is not the first time. This happened in the United States. Uh, for people who can remember back in uh, the 79 to 80 period that there was an alleged investigation by a man named Kenneth Rommel, R-O-M-M-E-L. And he, there was a big fanfare in newspapers about how Kenneth Rommel, uh, head of... Uh, uh, it, it was an investigative division in the district attorney's office, I believe, in Raton, New Mexico, and that he had formerly worked for the FBI, and he was getting a $119,000 grant uh, to study animal mutilations and make a formal report. Well, I went to see Mr. Rommel. Uh, in uh, October of 1979, late September, somewhere right in there, at the beginning of the production on my documentary, A Strange Harvest. And by then, I already had veterinarian pathology reports about the fact that the excisions in many of these animals with the serrated cuts had been done with something of high heat. And I had data to to show him at the beginning of his investigation. And when I was sitting across from him before the camera was ready to roll, he said to me, I'm going to prove that there is nothing to these animal mutilations except predator. And he's saying this to me as a reporter and a TV producer before we've even done the interview. Mm -hmm. And when I presented to him during the interview the hard data that had come from CSU and, and pathologists, he did not even want to look at the photos or the documentation. It was then very clear to me He was being given money to whitewash the fact that the animal mutilations were being done by extraterrestrials and that our government, in a variety of ways, wanted to muddy the waters. And so his was the first volley, and it came out uh, in a big interview of all places, Penthouse Magazine, that Romney did an interview with this magazine about how there was nothing to animal mutilations and that one of his proofs was not only in New Mexico and Colorado that it was just predator, but that in uh, Bentonville, Arkansas, that the sheriff's office had purchased the cow, put it out in a field, 
had a star scope trained on it, and they, they were proving that there was nothing to it but foxes and crows and things like that. <laughs> of well, course. Well, that's, that's okay. quite easily to, to explain that way. Um, okay, but there's uh, yeah. something critical here. Okay, on the, on the other side of our break. What, well, I, what yeah. I learned from Linda, the veterinarian Linda. working with that sheriff's office, and I can tell you or not, but I'm just... Yeah. Okay, we'll just we'll come back with Linda in a moment. Uh, we'll just take a break now. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show. My name is Victor Vigiani. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All of this should be presented in a formal, executive, official, congressional hearing. Why has the agencies of the United States government the Department of Justice, the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the DIA, the NRO. They've all been studying this. They have more data than I do. Why shouldn't this country get back on the track of being of and by and for the people? That, of course, is the voice of Linda Moulton Howe, our guest this evening. Part of your, um, I guess, your dissertation at the, at the hearings, but... Uh, yeah. Oh, at the citizen hearing. That's right, yeah. It's so important, yeah. if we don't talk about anything else, that I end up telling you what happened uh, after all of the Rommel report. Okay, sure, yeah, go ahead, and take off the, that, yeah, uh, for sure. the House article saying uh, through Rommel that it was all predator and that the Bentonville uh, Sheriff's Office had proved it. Okay, that was 1980. Jump to around 2001. And I am working and living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And one afternoon, uh, the phone rang, and it was a man who introduced himself by full name, a veterinarian, living and working in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And he said, I have retired, and I have thought of you so many times, Linda. He said... I privately have known how accurate your work and your reporting is, and that's why I decided in retirement I had to call and tell you that when the Rommel report, the uh, the Warwick article in Penthouse, and the alleged proof of the Bentonville uh, County Sheriff's Office about Predator and the so-called Starscope, was uh, put out in the spring of around 1980 at the same time that your documentary, A Strange Harvest, came out. He said, I knew for a fact that the Bentonville County Sheriff's Office was using me, hiring me, to do the actual necropsies on mutilated animal after mutilated animal. And he said, Linda, there would be no surgical excisions on the bodies of these animals. But when I went in to do the necropsy... I would find that an entire bladder was missing without any excisions and that there was no evidence of surgery of a scalpel. Um, he, he went on and told me that half a dozen animals he had found the missing organs inside, and I told him that how grateful I was because in the very first discussion that I had with Sheriff Tex Graves up in Logan County and Sterling in that first trip, up there in September of 79, when he told me the perpetrators were creatures from outer space, he told me that, the, that he took a veterinarian out to the first mutilated cow that he found and was stunned by because there was no blood, no tracks around her, 
And when the veterinarian went into that first mutilation, which goes back to, I think it was 1972 or 73 for Sheriff Graves, he said the veterinarian looked up and said to the sheriff, there is no heart here. The pericardium, the transparent sac that surrounds the heart of a cow, just like we have a sort of pericardium around our heart. He said the pericardium is in here. There's no blood. There's no fluid. There's no clotted blood anywhere. The pericardium is collapsed in the chest. There's no heart. The heart in a full-grown adult uh, cow is around 7 inches by 9 inches by 11 inches. It's huge. And the veterinarian said to Sheriff Graves, I have no idea how you would get out of an animal through the rib cage or any other direction a heart without leaving any signs of any excision anywhere, let alone how would you get the heart out of the pericardium without a tear or a cut? I took exactly that case and all that Sheriff Graves told me to Arlen Myers, an MD who was experimenting at the time in 79 at Rose Medical Center in Denver with lasers. He was the head of the laser research department. I took the photographs, I took the reports that I had, and when Arlen Myers was looking at these photographs and we were discussing the necropsy that Sheriff Graves had told me about with the missing heart, Arlen Myers said to me, you know, that has been one of my goals in my life. I've been hoping that eventually, in, and at that time I was interviewing him in 79, He said, my goal has been that in approximately 30, 35 years, I hoped in my lifetime that we could develop molecule-specific laser surgery that would go through skin, cartilage, muscle, bone, would interact only with the molecular structure of a heart, of a liver, of a kidney, leaving no trauma to the body, that they could excise tumors or do whatever was necessary, and it would be molecule-specific. And he said, what you have here, Linda, in these animal mutilations reminds me of my own goal for future surgery. Well, let me tell you something. All of the, that you're talking about begs the question why. And on the other side of the break, I'd really like to address the whole issue of why this is happening. So uh, we're talking to Linda Moulton Howe, and on the other side of the break, we're going to try to find out if she has any thoughts about why all of this is happening. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Something is very wrong in the underbelly of this country that I think is related directly to a policy of denial from World War II about the fact that extraterrestrial biological entities, to use our government's own phrase and its own alleged documents, are interacting with this planet, have been for centuries, and that there is an intimate relationship between what we are and what they made. And that might explain why there's no wholesale evidence anywhere that the non-humans want to kill humans. They want, it appears, from my point of view as an investigative reporter talking with so many people, that there is an ongoing research program about what is happening on this planet in the surface life on Earth. Just before the break, uh, we were speaking with Linda Moulton Howe regarding 
the kinds of incisions that have been made in, in these um, so-called animal mutilations. And I was just about to ask you, Linda, as you alluded to in the, in the clip, as to why all this is happening. You, in the clip, you alluded to the you know, overall program of research here on the planet. Um, have you or others come up with possible theories as to what, what possible rationale could be used by the, by the off-world civilizations, the ETs, for doing what they're doing? Can you give us, shed, shed some light on that for us? Uh, in that uh, excerpt from the uh, testimony I was giving as a, an investigative reporter in Washington, D.C. at the National Press, Press Club in the first week of May this year, I'm referencing going back to 1983, April 9th. I had been contracted with Home Box Office to produce an hour for HBO. The working title was UFOs, The E.T. Factor. Uh, HBO came to me because they had screened A Strange Harvest, the documentary I was talking about, and they wanted me to do an hour that would go beyond A Strange Harvest uh, and include animal mutilations, but go into sort of the question you're asking into other aspects. And in the process of my doing, beginning to do the script, uh, Peter Gersten, who was an attorney in New York, had been hired by the Center for UFO Secrecy, QFOS. Uh, uh, he was a police officer, I think, from Connecticut originally, Larry Fawcett. And they uh, were the very first organization related to uh, trying to understand what's going on with the UFO phenomena to file in the United States a Freedom of Information Act that did not become law until around 1976-77, right in there. So Peter Gersten filed a FOIA request to military operations, all of the known alphabet soup intelligence agencies in the United States, and to sum up a long deal that ended up finally breaking from the Supreme Court and being publicized in Time Magazine and Newsweek and the New York Times and everything in January of 1980, he started getting replies from intelligence agencies saying, we don't have any UFO reports, but we know that the National Security Agency has 118. So intel agencies were pointing fingers at other intel agencies, and that was perfect. He could then send those letters to the agencies that were being fingered, and pretty soon he had a tremendous file, and they were able to get all the way to the Supreme Court, for the now famous historic in-camera session in which all of the intel agencies were arguing that they could not reveal uh, the uh, documentation related to the Citizens Against UFO Secrecy because it would threaten national security without explaining why and what was released from that famous uh, FOIA case with uh, Citizens Against UFO Secrecy were dozens of black, all-black pages, which Stanton Friedman then used in, often in his career. Now, this is the same attorney who set up a meeting for me at Kirtland Air Force Base because he, Peter Gersten, after all of this FOIA and Supreme Court and all of that work, had been, had been receiving correspondence from a variety of people who appeared to be whistleblowers. 
they were either in military or something, and one of them was at Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, and Gersten said, it was made a great deal of sense, uh, you're starting out on the HBO documentary, uh, Citizens Against UFO Secrecy and I want to explore the famous case at Ellsworth Air Force Base when there was an alleged uh, exchange of weaponry between non-humans and military, uh, we've got somebody at Kirtland who says they have information that they are now prepared uh, to deliver on some of this background on witnesses and so forth. You go there. Uh, we will uh, go to South Dakota, and you can use this as an area of an actual, uh, actual uh, investigation that you can film. It'll be in your HBO. That's the behind the scenes of how I came to go to Kirtland Air Force Base thinking that I was going to get names, addresses, and details about this military-like exchange with extraterrestrials in a craft at Ellsworth Air Force Base in 1978. So when we go throughout all these punch doors and secrecy and all of this stuff and end up in an office where I think I'll be there for 20 minutes and out, the the man... uh, who is now in the office and at this desk, says my superior officers have asked me to show this to you, and he pulled out a manila envelope, pulled out a file, had about a dozen pages in it, and he said, I've been asked to show this to you. You can read it. You cannot take notes, and I want you to move from where you are to that chair in the middle of the room. And all of that was very confusing and baffling because I was sitting at a chair where anybody normally in conversation would sit. And I was so green and innocent and naive that at that moment it did not occur to me that he was directing me to sit in a chair that was videotaped, audiotaped, still photographed. I was completely 100% monitored from then on. And that what I read was a summary for the the top page, all caps, said, briefing paper for the President of the United States of America, and it was that formal, on the subject of unidentified aerial craft, UACs, and throughout the document, the acronym, the acronym unidentified aerial vehicles or unidentified aerial craft uh, were used interchangeably and the word or the acronym UFOs or UFOBs was not used in this document. And when it, I began reading the first page, it went into the history of retrievals, uh, uh, and sightings, the Mantell case, uh, 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 the Robertson panel, grudge, sign, all of the history. And then it got to a page where it started summarizing how the United States government had retrieved craft and extraterrestrial biological entities, both dead and alive, from a variety of locations. It listed those locations. There were seven or eight of them uh, that range from uh, a location in northern the northern nation of Mexico, south of Laredo, to Magdalena in New Mexico, uh, to uh, two different cases in the Roswell region, uh, one, it mentioned um, material that had been retrieved in 47, and a live extraterrestrial biological entity that had been retrieved in yet another crash in 1949, obviously none of us knew about. 
uh, Aztec, New Mexico, uh, locations in Arizona, and so forth. And then it got to a paragraph that said, these extraterrestrial biological entities have manipulated DNA in already evolving primates to create Homo sapiens. All questions and mysteries about the evolution of Homo sapiens on this planet have been answered and this project is closed. And I remember reading those sentences over and over and over again and thinking immediately about the issue of DNA manipulation to create life on this planet, many things that I have been exposed to and coming to your question on October 13th, 2013, why would there be animal mutilations, perhaps not just for a century, but perhaps for hundreds of thousands of years on this planet? Homo sapien is only about 35,000 years old in the current form. Preceding was Neanderthalensis. And so our memory as a current species doesn't go back very far. And that everything that I've been exposed to up to this day is that the animal mutilations in the northern and the southern hemispheres of this planet serve two purposes. One is the harvest of genetic material to be used for a variety of purposes that would include the creation of different kinds of biological containers. The second is for sustenance. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Can you hear me? Yep. Oh, I can hear I, you. I, you faded away. I don't know what you just said. No, I just, that's a scary thought. It's a very, very scary thought for sustenance. Uh, and just, that, well, that, that, scares, that scares the heck out of me when I hear that. I, I try never to communicate in whatever form I'm working in from a position of fear because I have literally traveled by myself all over this planet I have been out in fields by myself uh, excising tissue and fluid and grass and soil from dozens of mutilation sites. Fear is not, for me, realistic in this sense. There is no demonstration by anything in the phenomena that it wants or has wanted to eliminate humans. Mm-hmm. No, that, I, yeah, I understand that. I guess but, that just, just working really from... important piece. Every single day, 365 days a year, in every country on this planet, except perhaps India, cattle are being killed to eat by humans. Mm -hmm. If we are dealing with intelligences that made humanity, and that they have some sort of a monitoring and interacting program that is not in our faces, but is perhaps behind the matrix... The fact that they might focus on genetic harvest from animals that we killed to eat may say they are quite intelligent and making distinctions. Well, I think you've opened up um, a whole discussion that I would really like to pick up on the next time you're with us. And apparently we're going to be doing this uh, later on in the month. Uh, You'll be back with us, I believe, uh, October 27th. So I want to thank you very much, Linda, for being with us this evening on The Conspiracy Show. You really um, opened up a whole lot of doors for us uh, and our listeners, too. Check out Earth Files. We certainly will check out Earth Files for you. That's earthfiles.com, Linda Moulton. Linda, thank you very much for being with us, and we'll talk to you very soon again.
Linda Moulton Howe, my goodness. Um, lots of information there to digest. Uh, this evening has been a pleasure, and I want to thank you all for listening very much. Um, please check out the Richard Serrett website, richardserrett.com. My name is Victor Bajani. Thank you very much for being with us.